so it worked out in the end, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. No. Okay. All over a cow. That's hilarious. Yes. A That's Mormon just, cow. The Chicago fire was started by a cow. This was started by a cow. World War One was started by a cow. <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. Frogs are not real creatures. We hope to keep our <laughs> listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? We have Vincent Louis Giganti, and who could that be? I have no earthly idea. Hold on. Yo! Oh, hey, Zach. What are you doing here? I'm guest starring, you dumb bitch. Who are you calling a bitch? And what makes you think you can come in and... What's what? up, James D? Nothing much, Zach. Just recording an episode and wallowing in shame. Get a job. In this economy, telling someone to get a job is about as effective as telling someone to fall in love. Not exactly. I have a job, and I am happy. Yeah? Well, what the fuck do you do? Color? Yes. Shit, I just walked right into that one. Well, I guess if you're staying, you better tell everyone what you do. I color for a living. No, but like for real. Uh, yeah, for real. I'm a colorist at a major post-production house based in Chicago. Uh, I'm one of the guys who makes films and commercials look properly colorful. So you just turn dials and crank up the reds? What are you, a communist? James, get Tailgunner Joe on the line! I'm not a communist. Well, at least tell us some of the things your company has colored, you successful, happy, confident, and magnificent person. Well, I don't want to say the name, but we have worked on some movies that take place in space. Space Jam? Space Balls? Bigger than the jam, bigger than the balls. Ah, so you're just as qualified to run a history podcast as us. Which is not at all. That's a Dagana sack, not you. You guys are really hard on yourselves. You should try to think more positively. Scott Adams, the writer of Dilbert and My Personal God, says that the best way to live your life is to remember that everyone is delusional. So you might as well pick a good delusion. Pick a delusion where you believe you're successful and happy, and you might just become both of those things. Well, I heard Scott Adams is a jerk. Maybe, but the show's not about him. Not yet. You hear that, Scott? Not yet. That's a promise. Well, come on, you beautiful bastards. Let's head down to the history lab and talk about these two dudes. I will race you there. I'm gonna walk. Uh, sure, sucker, you walk. <laughs> oh, shit, what the... Again, one a mob boss with a perfectly sound mind, the other a crazy horse named Crazy Horse. Vincent Giganti and Crazy Horse, two of the most fearsome lovers who never met. Uh, so James, tell me, if you had to choose between only being allowed to drink coffee for the rest of your life and dying right now, which would it be? I am not answering that. Wow, this lab is really high-tech and well put together. How did you guys manage to pay for this with no job? Old money. An inheritance? No, old money is just what we call our buddy Adam K, who paid for the lab. Dan paid for the computer. He's young money. Patreon really seems to be working well for young creators who need an income. It could be working a lot fucking better! <laughs> Maybe if you tried going to conferences or emailing your contacts about your show, you might find more success. You should become uninvisible. That's the key, I think. I prefer invisibility. That's how I got into Area 51. And that's how I managed to get a date with the woman I'll be marrying soon. But enough about this. Computer, please bring up Vincent Giganti and Crazy Horse. Affirmative, my lord. So, Aaron, what is Vincent Gigante best known for? 
Vincent Giganti is best known for being the boss of the Genovese crime family from 1981 to 2005. Ooh. He was also a professional boxer and did something else that will blow your mind, but I'm not telling you what it was yet. You'll just have to wait to find out. Oh, shit. Yeah. Sorry. Oh. Sorry. That's the way the show works. Can you tell us what he looked like? Well, I can. Uh, one of Giganti's uh, nicknames was The Chin. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Though, I don't know why uh, yet. I'll tell you why later. Okay. <laughs> His chin is fine, I guess. He's got kind of spiky hair, uh, but a short haircut. A thin beard, eyebrows that even put me to shame, uh, and kind of a sideways smile that says, what are you, some kind of fucking guy? <laughs> He's a big man and looks like he could punch through the Berlin Wall. <laughs> oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, uh... What is Crazy Horse best known for? Crazy Horse is best known for being a great Lakota war leader who fought bravely against the United States military. Ah, and uh, what did he look like? Well, a, uh, a Mormon missionary made a sketch of Crazy Horse. Perfect. He looks like a kind of a kind man, but a fearsome warrior who also looks like he took a bullet to the cheek after getting too cozy with another man's wife. What? What? Yes. <laughs> okay, I hope there's a story. It's a cheeky story. Oh, excellent. Well, I say we just move right into Vincent Giganti's early life so we can get to Crazy Horse and find out about that bullet. Forward! <laughs> okay, so, Vincent Giganti's early life. Vincent Giganti was born in Manhattan to Salvatore Esposito Volgo Giganti, oh. a jewel engraver, and Yolanda Santacilia a seamstress. You made those up. No, I did not. <laughs> but I'm surprised they pronounced them so well so easily. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so his parents were immigrants from Italy looking for a new life in America, and they settled quite comfortably in Little Italy. Hmm. Uh, they actually never learned uh, nor had to learn English in this insular little, little society. Yeah. Oh. He had four brothers. Mario! <laughs> Pascal, Ralph, and Louis. Uh, three of these, uh, maybe Louis, I really don't know. Three of these brothers would follow Vincent into the crime world, but the fourth, Louis, or Louis, would become a Roman Catholic priest in the Bronx. Worth knowing. Oh, oh yeah. hmm. So, uh, Vincent Giganti attended public school number three, that's actually the name, and later <laughs> went on to what was called uh, the Textile High School, uh, which is now called the Bayard Rustin Educational Complex. Oh, wow. Oh, uh, so, uh, this school was a vocational school for, you guessed it, textile workers. Uh. The place had a fully functional textile mill in the basement. Interestingly enough, this school got better names as it grew more communistic. Oh, that's right, we're talking about communism again. Right. It was renamed the Straubenmuller <laughs> Textile High School, <laughs> and then renamed to Charles Evans Hughes High School. And after it turned out uh, that most of the teachers were, quote, card-carrying communists, I forgot who I'm quoting there, Yeah. Uh, the, the school was closed down and it never really recovered. Oh. Anyway, that's like enough about that school, but yeah. the point is, Vincent studied textiles here. Got it. Uh, but it wasn't to last. At 16, he dropped out of the textile school in order to chase his dream of becoming a professional boxer. Now, is that a boxer as in one who makes boxes? No. Or a, the dog? It's not the dog. Uh, what do you think it is, Zach? Uh, I think it's the... <laughs> you think it's the what? I think it's the... Uh, the 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 one where you punch people. The one where you punch people. Yes. Well, Zach's correct. <laughs> uh, he yeah. was a policeman. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, no, but he was a boxer, like like the one that punches people, yep. but is not a police uh, officer. Okay. Uh, and apparently, he was excellent. He started working as a tailor to make ends meet until his dream could be realized. It was during this time that he met a man named Vito Genovese. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. uh, and he was working for the mob by uh, stealing from cart vendors <laughs> and running illegal gambling rings. Cart oh. vendors. Are those the guys who car chases always plow through in the movie? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. Cool. Uh, so <laughs> he's stealing like the fruit that's always flying. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> a hard life. Yeah. Um, 
But other, the other guy he actually fell in, uh, fell in with was Philip Lombardo, mm. uh, otherwise known as Benny Squint or Cockeyed Phil. Oh. And he was called these things because he had bad eyesight and had to wear very, very thick glasses. Hmm. Yeah. So these two mobsters employed Vincent Giganti in several illegal activities, including gambling, theft, and all the other classic mob shit that the mob does. Mm. Uh, he was arrested seven times, <laughs> but only served 60 days in jail at his longest stretch. Hmm. Uh, until later. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, during this time, though, he was caught and didn't really pay for it much. But. Got it. Anyway, Gigante was not seeing uh, his dream of boxing realized. Oh, shit. Fuck. <laughs> Actually, the opposite. <laughs> Uh, but Giganti uh, was seeing his dream of boxing realized at last. Oh, good. And he was pretty damn good by all accounts. Yeah, so he fought in 25 matches and won 21 of them in the 40s. Oh, wow. The only reason he stopped was because his career in the mob was starting to take off, carrying him to all kinds of new and exciting places. <laughs> anyway, while boxing, uh, he fights under the name The Chin, which was a nickname that his mother gave him. Okay. Uh, the name comes from his actual name, Vincenzo, which sounds oh. like it has the word chin in it. Huh. Creative work there, Mom! <laughs> anyway, while he's boxing, he's also in this crew with the Genovese crime family called the Greenwich Village Crew. Hmm. That's he's Greenwich. What? Greenwich. Greenwich? Yep. Wow, I'm so dumb. <laughs> I'm very educated, so Thank no you worries. for saving me. Greenwich. Uh, I've had that in my salad. Greenwich. <laughs> but, but Greenwich, that sounds like a really good sandwich. It does. It's just made of money. Yes. Most expensive <laughs> sandwich in the world. Uh, Greenwich. I wonder what they call it. Okay, whatever. Yeah. It's Britain? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, anyway, in, uh, in this Greenwich Village crew, he's officially an enforcer, which is to say he's the guy who goes around threatening to beat the shit out of you if you don't play by the family's rules. Oh. Uh, it's a living, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, he serves as an enforcer from the late 40s and into the 50s. But that's where we'll leave him for now. And when we come back to him, we'll be talking about his adult life. Cool. So what do you think, James? <laughs> should we just roll over <sighs> into Crazy Horse's early life, or should we take a break? That would be crazy. So... <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Let's roll into it. Okay, go! Okay. Crazy Horse was born sometime between 1840 and 1845 to the Native American tribe called the Lakota. Perfect. Although American tribes are a bit more complicated than this. Uh, Crazy Horse's father was from the Oglala tribe, uh -huh. and his mom was from the... Oh, shit. <laughs> The Minikanju? Minikanju tribe. Something like that. Uh, these tribes were part of the larger Lakota tribe. Which Wait, now was that North Lakota or South Lakota? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. All right. Anyway, they're, they're all usually just bundled up into the name Lakota. Okay. Uh, anyway, Crazy Horse was not initially named Crazy Horse. What was he actually named? His birth name was Cha-Oha, oh. which means in the wilderness or among the trees. I kind of like that. I do too. Mm. Uh, but we will just refer to him as Crazy Horse in order to make things a whole lot less confusing. Perfect. Uh, so Crazy Horse's mom named Rattling Blanket Woman. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I should not be laughing, but no. that is hilarious. I wonder how they got the rattling part of that. Yeah. I mean, Blanket Woman is self-explanatory, but rattling. I guess. <laughs> Maybe there's a, a rattlesnake in one. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Rattling Blanket Woman died when he was only four years old. Aww. After becoming an adult, Crazy Horse got the name Crazy Horse. Okay. And there are two different explanations for how he came to this name. And what are these explanations? <laughs> uh, one story says that he adopted the name after, after having a vision. Okay. And the other story says that Crazy Horse was actually his dad's name, who passed it on to his son and then took on the new name of Waglula, which means worm. Wow, improvement. <laughs> oh. Wow. Yeah. Uh, worm, contrary to his name, was actually 
actually quite the skilled warrior. Wow. He once saved a village being attacked by crow warriors, which is the tribe, not the birds. Oh, I was envisioning something completely different. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in return, the chief of the rescued village, who was named Corn, <laughs> he gave Worm his two eldest daughters named Iron Between Horns and Kill's Enemy as wives. Wow. Uh, and this was Crazy Horse's dad, remember? I gotta say, these are some of the best names we've had so far. Right? <laughs> I know. I mean, I can't pronounce Chinese names worth shit. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I can pronounce these just right, and I know what these people are all about. And they're so descriptive. Yeah. <laughs> Rattling Blanket Woman. That's mm. going to be my daughter's name. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, so back to Crazy Horse growing up. He lived in a Lakota camp in present-day Wyoming. Uh, in 1854, Lieutenant John Gratton and 29 U.S. troopers entered the camp because a Mormon wagon train was missing a cow and one of the Lakota had stolen it. Allegedly. Yeah, well, turns out, though, that nobody had stolen the cow. Oh. It had just wandered into the camp, so the Lakota killed it and passed around the meat. As you do. Yeah, really. <laughs> uh, nevertheless, the chief, named Conquering Bear... Sweet. <laughs> offered to give the troopers a horse from his personal herd or a cow from the tribe's herd in order to repay the Mormons. Okay. Uh, the cow's owner refused, though, and wanted $25 instead and the arrest of the Native American who had supposedly stolen the cow. Oh, that's so unreasonable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and now, this whole thing was becoming somewhat heated, as you can expect. And okay. to make matters worse, the U.S. soldiers were not supposed to be handling this incident. What? Incidents like these were supposed to be handled by an Indian agent, uh, which was basically a U.S. government official who dealt with the natives, and not by a bunch of soldiers with guns. Oh, this is not going to end well. I can <laughs> no. feel it right now. Uh, but the Lakota agent was off somewhere else, and the soldiers didn't want to wait for him. Okay. To make matters worse, the interpreter who the soldiers brought uh, got completely wasted what? on their way to the Indian <laughs> camp. What? He was so scared. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, uh, <laughs> yes. So Lieutenant John Graton and his 30 troopers are now in an Indian camp with a drunk interpreter and surrounded by about 1,200 Indian braves. Oh, and Graton hates Indians. What? <laughs> so it worked out in the end, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. No, okay. All over a cow. That's hilarious. Yes. That's a Mormon just, cow. The Chicago fire was started by a cow. This was started by a cow. World War One was started by a cow. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Anyway, yeah. uh, so now as Chief Conquering Bear was trying to deal with the soldiers peacefully and offering methods of repayment, the drunk interpreter began taunting the native warriors by calling them women and also crying out in a drunken yell that the American soldiers were going to kill them all. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yes. Holy shit! So, as can be expected, the 1,200 Indian warriors slowly began surrounding the American soldiers. Now that would be terrifying. Yeah. Oh. Uh, it soon became apparent that nothing would be resolved, so Lieutenant Graton left the chief's teepee and walked back to the other soldiers. At this point, a nervous American soldier accidentally shoots Chief Conquering Bear. What? <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Uh, so chaos ensues and all 31 American soldiers are quickly killed. Wow. Uh, unfortunately, Conquering Bear later died of his wounds, and as can be expected, the Lakota and Sioux people were outright outraged by this act of aggression from the American troopers. Mm. Uh, thus started the First Sioux War. The first? <laughs> yeah. There's more than one? I guess so. Oh, man. Uh, Crazy Horse was in the camp when this all happened and began to feel that the white man was kind of really threatening the tribe's freedom and safety. These white <laughs> men are dangerous! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Uh, after this event, which is remembered as the Graton Massacre, uh, Crazy Horse went on his vision quest, which was a ritual that Native Americans did upon reaching adulthood. And, and alright, so I gotta ask though, what age is adulthood in this culture? 
I don't know. I, I really don't know. No. Uh, but I'm guessing it's probably not so so much as age as it is, you know, social status. Oh, I see. Okay. Uh, I don't know. I could be completely wrong, uh, uh, but that would kind of make sense. Uh, yes. Okay. So he went on this this vision quest, and on this vision quest, Crazy Horse him, saw himself as a warrior riding a great horse into battle. All around him was a thunderstorm and a rain of arrows and bullets, but neither he or his horse were ever hit. Uh, the warrior then instructed Crazy Horse that as long as he never takes scalps as war trophies, he will never be harmed in battle. So wait, he, he saw himself riding a horse in a battle. And then himself it, tells himself. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, and it turns out that this vision was accurately... Uh, it was accurately accurate. <laughs> uh, Crazy Horse was never harmed in any of the battles he took part in, except in one case when he took two scalps as trophies and then was shot with an arrow. Whoa! <laughs> yes. Wow. Uh, so Crazy Horse returned home after this quest, and then his dad took him on another vision quest in which Crazy Horse was instructed by the Thunder Beings of the West Whoa. how he should wear his war paint. Uh, from this point on, Crazy Horse wore a yellow lightning bolt down the left side of his face and then had white hailstones on his forehead. That is so bad. I know. Uh, and there's a lot more to these visions, but we've got to keep going. Okay. Uh, so Crazy Horse was also given a black stone from a medicine na man named Waptura, uh, and the stone would protect him from bullets. Okay. So he's all set. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and before we end this section on, on Crazy Horse's early life, let's quickly talk about his personality. Okay. Uh, one of his friends named Black Elk described Crazy Horse as the following. Uh, in his own teepee, he would joke, and when he was on the warpath with a small party, he would joke to make his warriors feel good. But around the village, he hardly ever noticed anybody except little children. Aww. Wait, wait what? <laughs> no, not like that, oh. Zach. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Keep going. Uh, all the Lakotas like to dance and sing, but he never joined a dance, and they say nobody ever heard him sing. Wow. But everybody liked him, and they would do anything he wanted or go anywhere he said. Uh, so Crazy Horse is basically a great warrior who is loved by his fellow tribesmen and is kind of angry at the American military. Uh, yes. And we'll pick this up later when we turn to his adult life. I just gotta say, this yes. sounds like a recipe for disaster. <laughs> yes, it does! Okay, <laughs> is that because it is, or are you not gonna spoil it for me? Uh, I'm not gonna spoil it. It all ends happy. Oh. Everyone lives, nobody dies. Uh, shit, I know you're lying to me. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, I think we should take a break. And when we come back, we'll be talking about Vincent Gigante's adult life. Uh, so Zach, what's your take on frogs? Frogs? Frogs. Like, in what situation? Like, in a very froggy situation. <laughs> in a froggy situation, I mean, it's only fitting, right? Just make sure. They're made up creatures, guys! <laughs> Frogs don't exist. Frogs are Christian I'm propaganda. So <laughs> Adam made them up. Adam K. Adam K, yeah. Uh, wait, so, Jay, I need you to make a case as to for why frogs don't really exist. Okay, uh, for sure. So, remember in the Revolutionary War how the French helped us win, uh, win the war oh, at yes, the end? Yes. Well, that didn't happen, because the French can't fight. Oh, oh that's so... And the frogs mm. are always French, because French don't exist, and the frogs don't exist. That's right, French people don't exist. And then something involving the GOP, oh. but I don't remember, <laughs> so that's my case. I'm convinced frogs are not real, everybody. Indeed. You heard it here first. 
What are you, what's your take, Zach, on the news? Well, whenever you see something, remember when you're a kid, you say, oh, look, there's a frog. Yeah. And mm. some asshole adult would say, no, that's a toad. Yeah. Oh, That's right? the truth. Holy yeah. shit. There are only toads. <laughs> he just blew the lid off this whole no. case. <laughs> wow. Wow. James <laughs> and Zach for the one-two punch. That's oh true. <laughs> and we are officially back to We Talk About Dead People. And when we left off, we were talking about Crazy Horse's early life. And now we're going to talk about Vincent Giganti's adult life. Did he get a job? Uh, he had two jobs. Hmm. He was a boxer and a mobster. So how many more is that than you? That's two more than me. Okay, sorry, continue. Okay. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> anyway, so <clears throat> when we left Vincent, he was working as an enforcer in the Greenwich Village crew, <laughs> just going around enforcing things. Uh, he was really getting along well with the Genovese crime family. Uh, Good. At their, especially uh, the crime family's head, Vito. Some describe Vincent as Vito's protege. Whatever the case, they get close and build a tight and trusting bond with one another. Hmm. Yeah, so he's in, is what I'm saying. Uh, and it, so it seems natural that when Vito decides someone needs to die, he's going to go to Vincent Giganti first. The old chin. Yep, he's got to go to the chin. Mm. Uh. So in 1957, Vito commands Giganti to murder just some guy named Frank Costello. Oh. Yeah, no, he's actually not just some guy. It's worth knowing that Frank Costello had a nickname, and that nickname was the Prime Minister of the Underworld. Holy oh, shit! Yeah. Wow. So no small deal to be bumping this guy off, is what right. I'm saying. This was a man who had made who was made rich during the Prohibition from the 20s on, um, you know... Uh, what the fuck did I write? <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back after the short commercial break. This was a man who was made rich during the Prohibition, and from the 20s on, started taking all the mob power in New York City and applying it to his business. Hmm. That is a gross oversimplification, but hey, it's radio. The yes. point is that Frank Costello is, for all intents and purposes, the boss of the mob in New York City. And Vito Genovese is a bit jealous of this, to say the least. Mm. Uh, so he has his soldiers, um, and they all treat him like the boss, right? Even though he's right. not. Okay. Um, and, but he still has to count out a Frank Costello whenever necessary. Mm. Add to this is the pressure of the uh, what were called the, I think it's Kafauver hearings, uh, which was just like one of the first major congressional attempts to cut the mob down to size. Oh. So all this is going on on the surface, and blah, 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 politics, politics, politics. The result of these hearings uh, was that Costello got thrown in jail time and time again with new charges being brought against him over the course of five years. Oh. In jail, out of jail, back in again. Frustrating, but also restrictive. Uh, Costello's power was beginning to waver. In 1957, Costello uh, was released from prison. And believe me, this is all very, very complicated, and I'm leaving a lot out. Good. But basically, <laughs> uh, fate, with a little help of Vito Genovese, has created a power vacuum that either he or Frank Costello will have. Right? So it's down to these two. Yeah, something about a vacuum. Something about a, a vacuum. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sweep. Clean your room, James. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> so Genovese calls Vincent Gigante to get this shit done. He's going to get rid of Frank Costello so he can take control of the mob in New York City. Mm. So uh, Frank Costello has been in prison for months. At last, he's a free man again. All he wants to do is go home, have a drink, and relax. He goes to his apartment in the Majestic and calls the elevator. But just as he does, a voice cries out nearby, This is for you, Frank! Costello turns and sees a 38 pistol leveled at his head, held by none other than Vincent fucking Gigante. Wow. The gun goes off, Costello takes a bullet to the head, and Vincent just runs the fuck away. Uh, but here's the thing, Costello didn't die. What? Loser. In fact, all he got was a cut on his scalp. <laughs> yeah. So, Gigante goes into hiding, but is eventually caught and arrested and tried for attempted murder uh, in court, though Costello is uh, asked to identify Vincent Gigante as the bastard who shot him, and Costello 
get this, refuses to identify Giganti as his would-be assassin. <laughs> Wait, why? Whoa! It's like honor among thieves. Holy Apparently, shit! Uh, they 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 hate the law no, oh. more than they hate each other. So Whoa. he. He got the guy who tried to kill him off the hook. Wow. Uh, and it looks really good for him until the doorman from the Majestic, who saw the whole thing, does identify him as the shooter. Oh. Uh, but thanks to excellent lawyers, the doorman is discredited and Giganti walks away from the charges unscathed. Lawyers are just like knights in shining armor. Yeah, they're the best. <laughs> they I are. love lawyers. I can't get enough of lawyers. You should go to law school. I should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd have a job. <laughs> uh, the results of this attempted assassination are actually kind of baffling. Um, Frank Costello wasn't dead, but Vito Genovese took the power anyway and now controlled not only the Genovese family, but the Luciano family as well. Whoa. Uh, Vito calls a meeting with all the Dons and decides what's going to happen now, and they all support him. Even fucking Frank Costello, <laughs> the man he tried to have assassinated. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, oh. <laughs> yeah. So there's a whole lot of other shit that happens with Vito Genovese, but this episode is not about him. So we're just going to go to 1959, um, where he and Gigante are convicted of heroin trafficking and sentenced to seven years in prison. Mm. Just kind of happens. Yeah. Uh, but the judge who oversaw the whole thing started getting a bunch of letters from the very good people of Greenwich Village asking him to give Giganti a lighter sentence uh, because he was a good kid and he was taking care of his people. Mm. Uh, it didn't exactly work, but Gigante was released after only five years instead of seven. Oh, okay. Uh, so after this, Gigante was promoted to the rank of captain of the Greenwich crew. As captain, he kept up the good work by getting involved in bookmaking, loan sharking, and labor racketeering, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, he often met with other gangsters in his mother's apartment. Oh, uh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, just be, I live in my mom's basement. How, why isn't that as prestigious as a mother's apartment? You know what? You're right. You might as well just be the captain of the Greenwich Village crew. Who says I'm not? Uh, They're going to kill us. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so um, this lasted throughout the 60s, and um, he was never caught during that time, doing all this loan sharking, bookmaking, wow. labor racketeering. Um, until we landed on the moon in 1969. Well, oh. Yeah, same year we landed on the moon. Just fun fact. Anyway, he was indicted yes. for conspiring to bribe an entire police department. <laughs> uh, however, his lawyers saved him again by bringing in psychiatrists who said that Gigante was mentally unfit to stand trial. Ooh. Now, this is actually what Gigante is best remembered for in pop culture. In order to make this mentally unfit thing hold water, Gigante actually had to act insane. Oh, nice. So he started walking around town in a shitty bathrobe and PJs, muttering <laughs> to himself, having all kinds of little outbursts of insanity. <laughs> yeah, he would fake symptoms and go to mental hospitals in order to get diagnosed with all kinds of disorders, such Whoa. as dementia and Alzheimer's. <laughs> wow, twofer. Yeah, he allegedly took Valium, Thorazine, and Dalmain, I think that's how you pronounce it, uh, on a daily basis and had a whopping 28 Eight medical reports saying he was insane. Whoa. Yeah, and remember, this began in 69, and he was far from dead yet, and this right. was an act he was going to have to keep up for the rest of his life. Holy Man, that is commitment. Yeah, so throughout the 70s, Giganti continued to work as a captain until 1981, when he was promoted to boss. That's right, Whoa. boss, after Vito Genovese died and Philip Lombardo retired. At this point, while still acting crazy, he was running rackets all over the city. <laughs> now, when you have to keep up an act like having dementia and Alzheimer's all at once, you need a little cover now and then. So Giganti makes a guy called Fat 
Tony, <laughs> the front boss of the family, which is to say he's the fake boss. Oh. Right. Sorry, Fat Tony, can't be a real boss. Mm, true uh. leadership comes from a guy who's acting like he has mental problems. Mm. <laughs> Sounds familiar. <laughs> but it's not over for Fat Tony. As the front boss, there are all kinds of benefits. Huh. You get to act like a boss, one. Two, you get to answer for everything that the real boss is doing. Oh. Three, you get a prison sentence for a hundred fucking years <laughs> during another trial. Oh, oh, oh. That's right. In 1986, the FBI finally had enough uh, info to put some of New York City's most powerful mob bosses in the slammer for a good long while. And they got all of them. Wow. Not only did they get Fat Tony, they got Tony Ducks, Junior, Christy Tit, Tom Mix, Jerry Lang, Ralphie, and Bruno. God damn. All of Santa's Ralphie. reindeer. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Wow. But anyway, so it was a big bust is what I'm saying. Uh, but it was during these trials that it came out that Fat Tony was not the real boss, and that Vincent Giganti was actually pulling all the strings. Huh. Uh, but now that he has no front man, what's he to do? Sitting? Leave the job unfilled until 1992, of course. Uh, meanwhile, he's getting pretty paranoid, and maybe rightfully so. Right. Uh, he pretty much never leaves his house. He only whispers. And the reason for that is he thinks there's bugs all over oh, the sure. place. Sure, yeah. Um, and he never makes or takes any, any phone calls. Um, and anyone who mentions his, mentions his name is ordered to be killed on the spot. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. So he's making great strides to eliminate personnel and competing families, ordering uh, the murders of Antonio Caponegro, uh, Fred Salerno, Frank Sindoni, uh, Frank Narducci, Rocco Maranucci, Gerald, Gerald Papa, and many... Many others. Those are the most Italian names. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an Italian family. I know. <laughs> but anyway, so it's it's 1990, uh, and Giganti's arrested and charged with racketeering and uh, murder, oh. and was put on trial seven years later. Lady, lady, <laughs> 97. Uh, now again, the reason it took so long to get him on trial was that he had all these witnesses who were just ready to jump up and claim he was mentally unfit to stand trial. Right. Remember, he's got those 28 medical reports just yeah. all saying he's crazy, and he's been acting crazy too. Yeah. Uh, but that all ended when a whole bunch of witnesses started cooperating with the government. Mm. That's right, they rolled on him. Uh, the most important of which was Salvatore uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano. Oh. Uh, he testified that every time he met with Gigante, uh, Gigante had dropped the insanity facade. Oh. Yeah, and he was backed up by Little Al and Phil Leonetti. Mm. Damn it, little owl! <laughs> Long story short, Giganti's little ruse was not to be believed at all uh, by the judge, and Giganti was finally put on trial. Mm. And he was found guilty of eight counts of racketeering and conspiracy charges, and was sentenced to 12 years in prison. Yes, he got away with the murder charges. Wow. Yeah, they just oh. couldn't find the evidence to get him. So, in prison, he still pulled the strings. Uh, he would give orders to his son who visited him and then just let things take care of themselves while he played ping pong in the rec room. Nice. Uh, but it wasn't over for him. In 2002, Gigante was indicted again on charges of racketeering and obstruction of justice because, you know, he had pretended to be insane for a few decades to avoid trial. <laughs> uh, so he was sent back to jail for another three years after pleading guilty. Um, and this is where we will leave Giganti for now, in jail. And when we come back, we'll be talking about his end and death. I hope it involves a hot air balloon. A hot air balloon? Yes. Uh, okay. What do you hope it involves, Zach? Uh, a hot air balloon. Oh, perfect. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> three. Three for three. <laughs> All right. So, we'll be right back. And we are back to We Talk About Dead People, and when we left off, we were talking about Vincent Giganti's time in prison, and now we're going to be talking about Crazy Horse's adult life. Take it away, jammies. 
fine. <laughs> uh, by the late 1850s and early 1860s, Crazy Horse was now an adult warrior in the Lakota tribe, and his fame among his people just kind of skyrocketed. Cool! Uh, his first kill was a Shoshone raider who murdered a Lakota woman who was washing buffalo meat in a river. That's terrible! Oh, no. He just wants to wash the meat, for God's sake. Come on. Yes. Uh, so Crazy Horse then helped his tribe in many battles against the tribe's traditional enemies. The Crow, the Pawnee, the Shoshone, the Blackfeet, and the Arakara tribes. Those are some great names. They are. Mm. Yeah. Uh, then in 1864, the 3rd Colorado Cavalry took part in what would later be called the Sand Creek Massacre. Uh-oh. That kind of gives it away. Does it involve Tom Cruise? It always does. <laughs> okay. Uh, the background of this massacre is kind of terrible. So I should stop making jokes, is what you're saying? <laughs> yes. I'll turn off the joke machine. Okay. All right. Uh, basically, the U.S. government had given the the Cheyenne and uh, Arif Arapaho tribe... No, Arapaho. Arapaho? Mm hmm So basically, the U.S. government had given the Cheyenne and Arapaho tribes a ton of land in Kansas, Wyoming, Nebraska, and Colorado. I see. And it was like a ton of land. Nice. Uh, but then gold was found in this area. Oh, no. And a ton of white settlers just came flooding in. I oh. knew it. Yep. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Uh, so the U.S. government put forth a new shady deal with the tribes living in this land. Uh, the chiefs were kind of tricked into signing it, and their land was shrunk down to one-thirteenth of the original size. What the fuck? Classic U.S. government. Well, that's shitty. <laughs> yeah. Goddamn. Uh, anyway, tensions between the Native Americans and the settlers began to rise, and during the American Civil War, Union Colonel John Chivington was put in charge to keep the Cheyenne in check. Uh, Colonel Chivington kind of had his mind made up on Native Americans already. He made the infamous statement, Damn any man who sympathizes with Indians. Ugh. I have come to kill Indians and believe it is right and honorable to use any means under God's heaven to kill Indians. Kill and scalp all, big and little. What wow. the shit? Yeah. Though, let's be honest. That doesn't sound too different from Winston Churchill. Because mm. oh. remember, he believed that um, the white race was superior right. to the Native Americans. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he... Shit. You gotta listen to the episode, Zach. I'm yeah. telling you. You don't know this shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so he would have right. agreed with it. Maybe not in those words exactly, but he did say... But basically the same... Yeah. That's the same geez. principle. Mm. Yeah, uh, so anyway, this charming Colonel Chivington <laughs> and 700 cavalrymen basically rode into a into a Cheyenne and Arapaho village, completely destroyed it, and murdered an estimated 70 to 163 Native Americans, Jesus. most of whom were women and children. What the Gosh. fuck? They then mutilated the corpses. Oh, Jesus. Uh, this act of aggression was made without a declaration of war, without any real reason, and totally violated the peace treaty the U.S. government had with these tribes. Now, okay, was it an official order for him to do this? Or did he just decide to do it? I don't know. Okay. Uh, there's a there's so much sketchy dealings during this time, even up to the U.S. president. Oh, wow. Yeah, uh, so, anyway, I won't dive into that now. Wow, okay. Anyway, back to Crazy Horse. Turns out a lot of native tribes were really pissed off by this act you of aggression. You don't say! <laughs> uh, so many of the Oglala, Minikanju, and Lakota tribes allied with the Cheyenne and Arapaho and began fighting the U.S. Army. Uh, Crazy Horse was eventually made war leader of his tribe because of his ferociousness in battle and leadership skills. Mm. Uh, he helped lead the Indians in the Battle of Platte Bridge, Platte Bridge, something I think like it's Platte. I think so too, uh, which occurred on July 26, 1865. Uh, a grand Indian coalition of about 3,000 warriors began raiding army outposts and stagecoach stations in Montana and Wyoming, and eventually came to Platte Bridge, which ran across the North Platte River near present-day Casper, Wyoming. Okay. That was a run-on sentence. Yes, it was. <laughs> well, you uh, did very well. Thank you. <laughs> 
The bridge was guarded by about 120 American soldiers, and okay. in the ensuing battle, 29 U.S. soldiers were killed, while the Native Americans lost only about eight. Wow. Uh, but wait, was, they, I'm guessing they didn't bring all 3,000 warriors to that battle. Probably not. Okay. Uh, but anyway, this was probably one of the greatest victories the American Indians had, had like, ever, uh, because the Platte Bridge was an important bridge for westward-traveling wagon trains. Okay, so what are, I mean, what are they going to do with it? Are they going to keep settlers from coming in just by blocking the bridge? Pretty much, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, uh, after this, though, the Native Americans dispersed and returned to their tribes instead of pushing further. Okay. And this ended up being a good move on the part of the natives because the Civil War had just ended, and the U.S. government was focusing completely on the Indian Wars now. Oh, fun. Yeah. Uh, on December 21st, 1866, Crazy Horse led six other warriors as a decoy to trap U.S. Captain Fetterman and his 53 infantry and 27 cavalry. Uh, the cavalry began chasing Crazy Horse's six friends, while Crazy Horse himself got chased by the 53 infantry. Whoa! And he was, they were chasing him over hills and through forests. <laughs> wow. Great. All on foot? Uh, yes. Wow. Uh, this was a trap, of course. Oh. <laughs> Crazy Horse and the others quickly led the U.S. soldiers into an awaiting 1,000 Indian braves. Jesus. All 81 U.S. soldiers were killed uh, and yeah. mutilated. Oh, God. <laughs> and this was the greatest U.S. military disaster on the Great Plains up until this point. Wow. Uh, yeah. The Lakota and Cheyenne refer to this battle as the Battle of the Hundred in the Hand. That's an interesting name. I'm guessing... Okay, I think it I don't just know. means the hundred people in their hands. I yeah, near... Because it was 81 or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, on August 2nd, 1867, Crazy Horse helped lead the wagon box fight in which between 1,000 and 2,000 Indian warriors attacked a woodcutting crew near Fort Phil Kearney. Okay. Which is a human name for a fort. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Phil Kearney. <laughs> However, the soldiers cutting wood had recently be be had, they had recently been given breech-loading rifles, which could fire ten times a minute, instead of muzzle-loading rifles, which could only fire three times a minute. Wow. Uh, as such, the Indians' charge suffered somewhere around 100 casualties, while the U.S. Army lost only about five guys. Uh, Crazy Horse was not injured, though. So, uh, were, were, the, uh, were Crazy Horse's men armed with guns? No. Okay. Uh, most of them were not. It was mostly bows and arrows still up until this point. That's wow. crazy. That's which, crazy. It was, uh, I was reading, and on an open plane, bows and arrows could be just about as deadly as guns, especially if uh, the warriors were skilled. But if the defenders were uh, behind enough logs or forts or whatever, bows and arrows were pretty much useless. Yeah, I believe that. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, uh, so anyway, in these battles, Crazy Horse was, uh, well, actually, in between these battles, Crazy Horse was active back at home pursuing his childhood love, oh. a woman named Black Buffalo Woman. Oh, oh wow. Maybe that's the name of my childhood love. That's the name of a song. Isn't it Buffalo Woman? What is that? No, Buffalo Soldier. What the hell? Is <laughs> yes. A uh, Black Buffalo Woman had recently been married to a man named No Water. Oh. oh. Uh, but No Water was an alcoholic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Uh, oh my god! Yes. <laughs> Convenient! Yeah, uh, so Black Buffalo Woman divorced him, or tried to divorce him, and left to go with Crazy Horse. Hmm. No Water pursued the two lovers with a pistol and eventually found them in Crazy Horse's teepee. Oh. Uh, no Water stuck the pistol into the teepee and fired. However, thankfully, Crazy Horse's cousin, named Touch the Clouds, oh. <laughs> was also in the teepee and managed to, to hit No Water's arm, deflecting the bullet right into Crazy Horse's oh face. Oh my god! god. Uh, the bullet tore through Crazy Horse's cheek but left no real lasting damage. Uh, he had a scar for the rest of his life, though. Yeah, so uh, lasting damage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he didn't die from it, from right, infection right. or whatever. I'm just being an asshole. Yes. <laughs> 
No water then fled the scene on his horse, uh, because basically all of Crazy Horse's angry family was after him. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, no water ran his horse until it died, and barely made it to the tribe's elders, who managed to calm the situation. No water gave Crazy Horse three horses, but because what? Crazy Horse had been with another man's wife uh, before the divorce was finalized, he was stripped of the title of tribal war leader. Oh, yeah. interesting. Uh, because Crazy Horse couldn't marry Black Buffalo Woman, he eventually settled for a woman named Black Shawl in 1871. Okay, I'm uh, sensing a pattern. <laughs> yeah. They only had one child, a daughter named They Are Afraid of Her. Shit! Who unfortunately died at the age of three. Oh, no. damn it. Yeah. She probably wasn't like a badass warrior princess <laughs> right. or something. Yeah. They Are Afraid of Her. Yeah. That also sounds like the name of a really pretentious movie. Yeah. Ugh. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Crazy Horse also married a woman named Nellie Larrabee who was half French and half Indian, but they did not have children. So it's kind of sad they don't have descendants. I'm laughing because when you where you wrote they did not have children, you wrote they did not half, like half of a pizza. Yeah. They did not have children. They did not have That's half That's good. Children. They should not have children. Nobody should have children. No, I mean like yes. having them, like a, like a pizza... Like, right. Like a like yeah, cutting them in half. <laughs> I gotta quit talking about pizzas. I'm hungry. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, even though Crazy Horse has been stripped of his title, extreme times call for extreme measures, and the Native Americans needed good war leaders. And very big tape measures. Yes. You said extreme, extreme measures. measures. Oh, I gotta quit. God. <laughs> so Crazy Horse was allowed to lead troops again, and he was immediately sent with 1,500 Lakota and Cheyenne warriors to attack Brigadier General George Crook's force of 1,300 soldiers. George Crook. What? He was a crook. <laughs> we gotta stop. We gotta stop. Wait, stop the recording. I said stop the fucking recording. <laughs> I'm trying, God. man! So the ensuing battle took place July 17th, 1876, and is remembered as the Battle of the Rosebud. Oh, Citizen no. Kane. <laughs> uh, the battle wasn't really that big, though. Okay. The U.S. soldiers managed to avoid the Indian surprise attack, and each side only lost a few dozen men. However, okay. the battle was very important because Brigadier Crook retreated his forces instead of marching on to join this guy by the name of General George Custer. Oh, oh shit. Oh, uh, yes. yeah, we know that <laughs> name. Uh, so a week later, on June 25th, 1876, the Battle of Little Bighorn happened. Okay. Uh, the U.S. 7th Cavalry Regiment, led by General Custer, was, of course, decimated by the Lakota, Dakota, Cheyenne, and Arapaho tribes. Uh, about 268 U.S. soldiers were killed. The battle is actually pretty complicated, but we'll save that for when we do an episode on General Custer. Which we will! We will. Mm -hmm. uh, but what's important now is that Crazy Horse's actions at the Battle of the Rosebud basically ensured an Indian victory at Little Bighorn. Okay. Uh, Crazy Horse was also present at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Uh, while his exact role in the battle remains unknown, he was never wounded, and his fellow soldiers said he was the greatest fighter in the whole battle. Wow! <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Uh, a year after the battle, the Lakota had a sun dance to celebrate Crazy Horse's actions in the Battle of the Little Bighorn, and to bless his future. And Crazy Horse refused to dance. Ah, so come on, Crazy Horse. Classic Crazy Horse, <laughs> though. Party has Let a loose, Crazy Horse. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we'll leave him until we return. Now, I have a question. Yes. <laughs> Do you have a question? Forget it. <laughs> so, you know, this is something stands out to me, James. Okay. Um, and that is, like, we're seeing modernized U.S. soldiers losing to these like primitively armed people. Yeah. And why do, why do you think that is? I mean, do we have any ideas? Uh, well, 
<laughs> first, first he will die, and then he will answer the question. From beyond the grave. Uh, I don't know enough about the war tactics, but I think a lot of it has to do with the arrogance of the U.S. soldiers. I oh. mean, think about it. Like, a lot of these guys were ex-Civil War veterans. Right, right. They had seen, you know, fellow troops go to their graves by the tens of thousands. Right. Dealing with, you know, 500 native warriors would seem like a, a holiday to them. Right. Uh, and pride cometh before a fall, as it yeah, says in the Kama Sutra. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, another thing, though, is I think the Native Americans were just, they knew their land, they knew how to fight in the land, they, they mm -hmm. did a lot more guerrilla warfare tactics. That's pretty true. I don't mm -hmm. know. I would like to ask, like, a, an expert on this. Yeah. Yeah, it's shocking to me how many, like, massacres there are at this point in history. Like, I know. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm sort of, I mean, I know that, like, we weren't good to the Indians, but... I'm glad we're at a point now where the massacres are sort of behind us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's an interesting thing because, like, you point out that there are massacres. Um, there are massacres on both sides. Like, when you right. lose, you really lose, yeah. it seems. Yeah. There's yeah. no, like, oh, we're going to run away. It's like, oh, we're all going to die here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that one had to do with what you said about maybe not the arrogance, but more of the the uh, blindness uh, to the old tactics. Yeah. You know, they're, they're so used to thinking, oh, yeah, I'm using a modern gun. I'm, using, I'm marching with a modern army. I don't have to worry about these guys. Um, I don't know. Yeah. And what's also interesting is that the Native Americans would often mutilate corpses after mm -hmm. the battle to, as war trophies or whatever. And the U.S. soldiers started doing the same thing. It was oh. just a primitive war. Wow. But, like, after the U.S. soldiers would defeat an Indian tribe, they would scalp them and really? do all that Was that, like, a stuff. sort of psychological war tactic? Like I think so. And, yeah. Wow. It was just that. kind of brutal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but one, one article I did come across that was really cool was a bunch of modern-day U.S. soldiers from the same division that was in some of these massacres. Mm -hmm. They went to an Indian reservation, and they apologized to the modern-day chief. Oh, wow. And it was great the chief accepted the apology, and then he said, uh, what did he say? Uh, he said, we do not own the land, the land owns us. Wow. And was looking forward to building peaceful relations between... The whites and uh, Native Americans. Wow. It was really cool. That's really interesting. Um, those kinds of moves, I think, are a good thing. Absolutely. Anyway, I think we should take a break. And when we come back, we will be talking about Vincent Gigantes and Anne Death. And we are back till we talk about dead people. Is that your Winston Churchill impression? That's my Winston <laughs> Churchill impression. No, I just felt like I had to use this voice at some point during this show. I don't know why. <laughs> but anyway, when we left Vincent Giganti, he was in prison for racketeering and obstruction of justice. At this time, he's about 75 years old. Which is pretty old. <laughs> so, yes. yes. In 2005, he starts getting sick. Like, a lot. Uh, eventually, he's sent to a hospital to recover, uh, but after, before being sent back to prison in Missouri, where uh, he dies 10 days later in yeah. the prison. He is survived by his eight children, who are reportedly doing well and are earning about $2 million a year working in various companies in New Jersey. Legitimately? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't say that. <laughs> I don't know. We want to be safe on the show? Well, no, I, I don't know. I, again... You know, that, that gets into his legacy. It's really hard to say, like, what happened after Giganti died. Because sure. we didn't know what was going on when it was happening then. So oh, how right. would we know what's going on We don't on really now. know what's going on now. No. Um, so, but he died rather recently. Um, and all his connections, you know, are, like, in the secretive world of the mob. So mm. it's really difficult to say anything Weird. about it. But um, 
Boy, made an impact. He certainly made an impact of some kind, at least on those 24 boxers. See what I'm saying? Well, I say we just roll right over and do crazy horses and end death. Okay. Uh, so unfortunately, the Native Americans began losing pretty heavily against the American forces. Okay. Uh, like I said, you know, once the Civil War is over, you can focus... Shut the fuck up! Pickles, get the hell out of here! He remembers the massacres. <laughs> he cries out. Okay, so... Okay, so after the Civil War, the U.S. government can basically send all the troops westward. So, uh, in 1877, Crazy Horse, along with a few other tribal leaders, headed to Fort Robinson, Nebraska, to arrange a formal surrender and after-war arrangements. Okay. During this encounter, tensions began to arise between the two sides, and to make matters worse, Red Cloud and Spotted Tail, two Native Americans who had adopted the ways of the whites, began to grow jealous of how Crazy Horse refused to be anything other than a true Native American. Oh. Now, the ways of the whites, what? Was that <laughs> defined, or did you just, what does that mean? I would say probably something like, I don't know, Vaping, giving ourselves Oscars, and eating Chex Bowl party mix. <laughs> okay, okay. So, <laughs> so now that we know what they were doing, yeah. How did that continue? Okay. okay. So Red Cloud and Spotted Tail, they began to grow jealous of how Crazy Horse refused to be anything other than a true Native American. Wait, so they they were jealous that he's stick sticking to his culture? Yeah, because they hadn't. Oh, okay, yeah. got it. Uh, so they started spreading rumors about how Crazy Horse was going to start another war against the U.S. government. <laughs> Dicks. <laughs> yeah, uh, General Crook, who had been beaten by Crazy Horse years earlier, and who probably still held a grudge, ordered that Crazy Horse be arrested and imprisoned. Uh, Crazy Horse was arrested on September 5th, 1877, under some pretty sketchy circumstances. Oh mm. man, so yeah. like in an art lab or something. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> Just children with chalk on the driveways. <laughs> While being arrested, a struggle ensued and ended when a guard stabbed Crazy Horse with a bayonet. Oh, oh man. Uh, Crazy Horse died later that night. His body was turned over to his parents, but his final resting place remains unknown. Damn. Uh, and I think author Ian Fraser, who wrote the book Great Plains, does an excellent job in summarizing Crazy Horse's legacy. Uh, Fraser wrote, even the most basic outline of his life shows how great he was, because he re remained himself from the moment of his birth to the moment he died died. Because although he may have surrendered, he was never defeated in battle. Because although he was killed, even the army admitted he was never captured. Mm. His dislike of the oncoming civilization was prophetic. Unlike many people all over the world, when he met white men, he was not diminished by the encounter. Wow. Yeah. Wow. yeah Pretty cool that. line. That's amazing. No, it's... Here's something interesting. Yes. I was just out at Mount Rushmore a couple months ago, and oh. they're working on a, 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 a statue of Crazy Horse's face. Really? Oh, really? And it's, like, massive. It's not even done yet. It's it's has to be entirely made by donations, private donations. Oh, wow. No public money or anything like that is going toward the monument. <laughs> it's kind of, eh, That's, eh, we did the presidents, but not this. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, if you're ever out in Rapid City, go take a look. Crazy Horse has actually got a much cooler museum than Mount Rushmore. Well, that's crazy. <laughs> that's not that funny. <laughs> I was laughing at your laughing. Uh, well, uh, well, that was all very interesting. Shall we head to the surface? I guess. Okay. Up we go. Up we go! So, James, tell me, what are you going to do with the rest of your day? Uh, I've got to take a bath in cottage cheese. Uh, 
That sounds... It's good for the skin. I believe it for some reason. It sounds like just about every other weird thing my mom tells me to try doing to help with depression. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, well, what about you, Zach? What are you going to do with the rest of your day? Oh, I mean, if there's room, I think I'll slide in next to James. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Whoa, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Oh, well. Well, I think that is about... <laughs> I think it's probably time to bring the show to an end for today. I agree. Uh, feel free to send all your hate mail to we talk about dead people podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it and not along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to buy Zach's thoughts and prayers, uh, helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll let the sounds of Zach doing his job play you out. Hmm. More green. Mm, not quite right. No. Closer. A little more yellow. And... Ah! Perfection. You know, it's moments like this that I'm reminded of how genuinely blessed I am. I'm happy with all aspects of my life. I'm beautifully well-adjusted for a single 20-something living in a major city, in a flat that overlooks a veritable sea of fresh water. In the summers, I enjoy visiting new restaurants and spending time with friends, even swimming in the lake to clear my head of the anxieties I do not have. In the winters, I can go ice skating in the park or find a warm corner in a quiet coffee shop to write my excellent and challenging screenplay about underprivileged children lifting themselves from poverty in the slums of Juarez with only their dreams of hope and with the help of the power of music. It's times like this that it's important to remember how much I really have and how grateful I really am for all of it, every speck of it. And then I laugh. I laugh because life itself is a great big joke and we, we are the punchline. <laughs> what a life, what a life. Aaron, what are you doing in here? Oh shit, Z I, I thought the building was closed. Well it is, but I work the night shift, so. Uh what are you working on? I can't tell you, actually. Oh, I get it. I'm not worthy. No, no, it's just... No, no, no. Don't let me see whatever toilet paper commercial you're coloring right now. Okay. It wouldn't be right for a proletariat buffoon like myself to get involved in big, important work like yours. What's the deal with you, anyway? I don't know what my deal is. I'm just a depressive, meat-covered skeleton blasting through space on some fucking rock. Life is meaningless, then you die. That's not necessarily true. Oh, look, you can ignore it or you can own it, but nothing really matters, period. Come on, now that's delusional. Hey, I thought Scott Adams said that everyone was delusional. And how can, be, can it be a delusion when it's verifiably true anyway? There's no meaning out there. There's no heavenly tweet or celestial instructional YouTube series on the meaning of life. No, there isn't. Anyway, so that's why I have this liter of whiskey, this pack of black American spirits, and this bag of party mix. And it's bold flavored and family sized. Because being a depressive meat covered skeleton blasting through space on some fucking rock can be made a little more bearable by feeling ashamed of it. The problem is your attitude. Oh, now you're saying I have an attitude problem. Yes. You know, I'm sorry that I'm a millennial. I'm sorry that I have depression. I'm sorry my parents raised me to be needy and didn't teach me how to take care of myself. I'm sorry that our society can't decide if I'm a worthless cell phone addict or a special snowflake who deserves the world. I'm sorry I didn't go into finance and make a million dollars in my first year in New York. I'm sorry I can't hold down a relationship because I don't believe people when they say they love me. And I'm sorry that all I have is my podcast that nobody listens to. I'm sorry I'm such a train wreck. No, you're not. What do you mean I'm not? You're not sorry. 
What? Do you think I enjoy being like this? No, I think you're like this because you don't believe in hope. Ah, hope. What is there to hope for? Happiness might come, but it always goes away, and you're hurt even more when it does. Should I hope for myself? What is there to hope? And who am I to think that an asshole like me deserves any better? I'm hopeless because hope is for suckers. Francis Schaeffer hoped Jesus would come back soon, but I still don't see Jesus. You can hope things will get better. But they won't. That's a lie. You can't possibly know that. I sure can. It doesn't get better. That's just the truth. I've heard time and again that the only person you can count on is yourself, but that's not true for me. I can't be trusted. That you're right about. You can't be trusted. But that's just because you've made yourself untrustworthy by believing that you're untrustworthy. You need something to believe in. I don't believe in anything. Well, that's just plain dishonest. You believe in sadness. You believe it will never go away. That you're doomed to be in this state until the end of time. And you're as dogmatic about it as the most religious people in the world. Well, at least I know sadness is real. Happiness is real too. And it's worth believing in. When you believe you're hopeless, you're not looking at your life objectively. You're not playing fairly. You're breaking the rules of reason just because you feel bad. Just like a lot of people break the rules of reason just because they feel good. Both kinds of people are stagnant. The optimists and the true believers are happy, but they're asleep. The depressives and the nihilists are realistic, but they're asleep too. The trick is to wake up from your dream or nightmare, realize it won't always be this way. Sometimes life is sad, sometimes happy, sometimes slow, sometimes fast. Life is a dance, Aaron. And when the music changes, you don't sit out, you change your step. Huh. This is coming from a guy who danced ballet for most of his childhood. It may not be the most masculine of things, but it taught me something. It taught me to move with life's music. I think the world has music for those who listen. And there's a great dance going on all around us. Sure, you can sit out on the side and laugh at me for dancing, and say that the music is just some kind of evolutionary reflection of the heartbeat, and that dancing is just some ridiculous anachronism of human behavioral psychology. But is that really the whole picture? Are clouds just floating packs of water molecules, or are they also mountains in the sky? What's your point? If you see yourself as just a meat-covered skeleton on a rock in space, all you're doing is being reductive. It's like calling a guitar just a piece of wood with strings on it. A guitar is a piece of wood with strings on it, but what separates the word guitar from the phrase a piece of wood with strings on it? Convenience? No. Categorization and respect. We categorize the wood and the strings when they come together as something new, something bigger than its mere parts. We respect the community of objects by giving it a name, guitar, and believing that it's capable of more than just being the sum of its parts. It has utility. You can play a guitar, and the sound of the wood and the strings come together to create something like magic for the ears. An illusion of beauty, maybe, but an illusion that could be worth believing in. If you choose, you can hear music, or you can hear just noise. The point is, it's your choice. You can look at yourself as a meat skeleton in space, or you can look at yourself as a person. That meat and that skeleton form something bigger, like a guitar, named Aaron C. And Aaron C is a song. I'm a song too. We're all songs. That's what makes people so beautiful. Some people have sad songs. Some people have happy ones. But the fun thing is, you can choose what you want to play. Right now, you're choosing not to play. You're wallowing, stagnant. You believe there are no songs worth playing. My song isn't worth playing, at least. Have you ever listened to it to find out?
Once upon a time, there was a man from a land far away. He was a very stupid man. A very stupid man indeed. What was his name? (laughs) His name... (laughs) Was Adam... (laughs) Adam was also the world's saddest cow. Hmm. (laughs) Zach, you should say some stuff to warm up. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can even read your lines if you want to. Oh. Yeah. Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, oh. a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. I'm an atheist. <laughs> <laughs> uh.